Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Confluent Q2 2021 Earnings Conference Call. I'm Shing Zi from Invest Relations, and I'm joined by Jay Krebs, co-founder and CEO, and Stephen Tomlinson, CFO. During today's call, management will make forward-looking statements, including statements regarding our financial outlook for the third quarter and full year 2021, the expected performance of a product offering, increased adoption of a platform, growth in our customer base, our market opportunity, our ability to capitalize on a shift to cloud, growth in Confluent Cloud revenue, our long-term growth, and our overall future prospects. These forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, some of which are beyond our control, which could cause actual results to differ materially from those anticipated by these statements. Additional information on risk factors that could cause actual results to differ is included in our SEC filings, including our IPO perspectives dated June 23, 2021, and Form 10-Q for the quarter ended June 30, 2021, that will be filed with the SEC today. We assume no application to update these statements after today's call, except as required by law. As a reminder, certain financial measures used on today's call are expressed on a non-GAAP basis. We use these non-GAAP financial measures internally to facilitate analysis of our financial and business trends and for internal planning and forecasting purposes. These non-GAAP financial measures have limitations and should not be considered in isolation from or as a substitute for financial information prepared in accordance with GAAP. A reconciliation between these GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures is included in our earnings press release and supplemental financials, which can be found on our investor relations website at investors.confluent.io. And with that, I'll hand the call over to Shane. Thanks, Shane. Welcome to our second quarter earnings, and this will be our first earnings call as a public company. I'm excited to be here today, and I want to start by thanking our employees, our customers, our partners, and our investors, all of whom helped us get here. I appreciate the support, and I look forward to what's ahead. I'm pleased to report that we began our life as a public company with strong second quarter results. Revenue growth in the second quarter accelerated to 64% year-over-year, totaling $88.3 million. Confluent Cloud revenue continued to outpace growth of our overall business, with growth of 200% year-over-year. This is a significant acceleration from the trailing 12-month growth rate of 134%. Confluent Cloud now accounts for 22% of total revenue. I'm extremely pleased with the results our team delivered, and we're well-positioned for the quarters ahead. Before I get into the details of the quarter, I, I think it would be helpful to provide an overview of our business for those new to the story, as well as some perspective on the factors driving the rise of data emotion. We're living in a digital first world. The role of software has fundamentally changed how companies operate and how they engage with customers. Software has moved from applications around the edge of a company to the very core of how companies do business. This is really an end-to-end reimagining of companies, from the front-end customer interactions to the back-end operations that drive how companies produce and deliver their products and services. And this is happening across companies of all sizes, in all geographies, in virtually every industry. The change in the role of software is driving a corresponding change in the role of data. Historically, companies operated on a paradigm of data at rest, where data was stored in disparate databases across the IT stack. This was sufficient when the applications using this data operated largely as disconnected islands, mostly outside the core operations of the business. However, modern software applications need to integrate and work together to drive cohesive real-time operations and experiences. This need to connect disparate systems and move operations into real-time has driven a need for data in motion. With data in motion, organizations have ubiquitous access to data in real-time as it's generated. This enables all the disparate systems in a company to react and respond to whatever is happening. Data in motion represents a major new category in the world of data infrastructure, one that my co-founders and I pioneered starting during our time at LinkedIn with the development of Apache Kafka and continuing on to Confluent where we built the modern platform for harnessing data in motion. This new category has gone mainstream. Confluent is now helping to power use cases in virtually every industry, and with companies of all sizes, including cloud-native companies like Square, Grab, Zero, and many more. In addition, Walmart is using data in motion to build real-time inventory updates. The CDC uses data in motion to stream data from healthcare and testing facilities across the U.S. for accurate insights into the state of the COVID-19 pandemic. Citigroup it combines historical and real-time data to provide sophisticated analytics to equity traders. Confluence sits at the center of the rise of data in motion. 
Our goal is to create a central nervous system for organizations by connecting applications and infrastructure around real-time data streams. We believe this central nervous system is easily the most strategic part of the emerging next-gen data stack. I'd also like to address why Confluent has emerged as a leader in this space and our strategy for continuing that leadership. A primary reason is the unique differentiation in our product offering. The combination of moving first in our space, getting to scaled investment earlier, having a more complete vision, and working with the best customers has helped us build a product for data in motion that has significant advantages over open source Kafka or any other competitive solution. I'd like to use the call to give an overview of these advantages, as well as some of the new features we've launched in Q2. We think of ourselves as building around three key pillars of differentiation, being cloud native, being complete, and being everywhere. I'll address each of these in turn and discuss some of the recent updates in each of these areas. First, cloud native. We've taken open source Kafka and built something that's completely redesigned as a cloud native service. There is a fundamental difference between software solutions that are designed for an on-premise environment and put in the cloud versus platforms that are built to operate as elastically scalable multi-tenant cloud services. This distinction cuts right to the heart of how these systems are built, and it's incredibly important to customers when selecting the products they use. Our cloud product offers the protocol of Kafka on a platform that is fundamentally re-architected as this kind of elastic cloud system. What that means is that it's serverless. This means customers don't need to think about managing individual servers, their memory or CPU or other low-level characteristics. It's elastic. It can scale up and down as needed with load automatically balancing as the customer's needs and usage patterns change. It also integrates natively with the vast array of cloud networking, security, and other technologies and the major cloud providers to help customers manage their data easily and securely. In the second quarter, we added several features that strengthen our cloud native capabilities. We added support for Azure Private Link. This is Azure's private networking layer that allows usage of Confluent without additional, with additional security and control of the connectivity, and it deepens our integration in Microsoft Azure. We also added role-based access control and audit logs within Confluent Cloud, strengthening our security story. These security features enhance the overall value of our platform by enabling customers to spend more time building impactful customer experiences and products versus implementing security controls that are not core to their business. A good example of a customer putting our cloud-native capabilities into practice is AO.com, which expanded its usage in the second quarter. AO.com is a digital retailer in the UK, and they leverage data in motion to treat each customer visit as a unique moment, combining real-time digital signals with historical purchase information to give customers a hyper-personalized experience. Confluent Cloud allows AO to deliver capabilities at a rapid pace and to do so with the security features needed by its privacy and compliance regime. Pace became even more crucial during the pandemic because the world moved so rapidly from predominantly in-store shopping to online. The speed at which AO is able to create new use cases that improve the customer journey with Confluent Cloud is helping AO to cement its online market leadership position, even as it continues to adapt to ongoing changes. The second pillar of our product differentiation is completeness. Kafka is the foundational layer in the emerging stack for data in motion. But to make harnessing data in motion easy, customers need a complete offering that makes developing in this new paradigm easy. We have hundreds of features that are essential to the modern data in motion stack, and I'll highlight a few key ones which represent significant investment by Confluent. First, we have over 120 connectors that make it easy to capture or deliver real-time data streams from existing databases, infrastructure layers, SaaS APIs, and cloud services. These connectors mean customers can set their data in motion without spending years writing integration code. Second, we offer advanced stream processing capabilities in a familiar package with KSQL DB. This is a layer that brings SQL, the language of traditional databases, to the new world of data in motion. This lets engineering teams use the skills they've spent years developing to work with data in this new paradigm. In the second quarter, we made great progress extending the completeness of our platform. We announced the availability of the fully managed connectors for MongoDB Atlas, as well as Datadog, and we're excited to offer this integration into other best-of-breed platforms. We also launched significant features in KSQL DB that extend the riches of its ability to process data in motion and query the computed results. The completeness of our 
platform was a driver in the second quarter for traction with a new customer, the Department of Veterans Affairs. The VA purchased Confluent in order to modernize the service it provides to veterans and increase the speed of delivery. This effort reduces the reliance on legacy applications, improves the timelines and quality of benefit claims processing, and enables the reuse of developed capabilities while reducing rework for the VA. Confluent IP that is critical to the VA includes our Oracle CDC connector, uh, multi-tenant security, FIPS 140-2 compliance, and, for example, the VA is modernizing their claims processing application from an offline batch processing job that distributes 1.2 million veteran claims nightly to a real-time processing solution that results in faster and more accurate benefits delivered to veterans. The third pillar of our product differentiation is being everywhere. Just as a central nervous system needs to span all the parts of the body, Confluent needs to span all the environments a modern company operates in and connect them all seamlessly into one fabric for data in motion. This means operating across all three major clouds, as well as legacy on-premise and private cloud environments. By having one platform that spans these, customers can tap into data locked up in legacy systems on-premise and open that up to modern applications in the cloud, connecting these all seamlessly and securely through Confluent. This capability is a core requirement for our customers' hybrid cloud and multi-cloud strategies, and it's uniquely differentiating for Confluence as we're the only provider in the data in motion space to span all these environments. A perfect example of this is BMW. By adding Confluent Cloud and extending the use of Confluent Platform, we're helping BMW Group to optimize all of its production and logistics processes, which encompass everything from the time a car is ordered to when it's delivered. Hundreds of applications that cover these processes will run through Confluent. BMW Group will leverage Confluent to support its IoT environment across its 24 manufacturing plants. In the second quarter, we strengthened our everywhere story with the launch of Confluent for Kubernetes, or CFK. CFK lets customers get many of the cloud-native benefits of Confluent Cloud in Kubernetes-based private cloud environments on-premise. It provides a complete API-driven experience for deploying and self-managing Confluent Platform. We also expanded to six new cloud regions, making Confluent Cloud available in a total of 59 regions across AWS, GCP, and Azure. We also launched Health Plus, which provides real-time visibility to customers to ensure the health of their data in motion infrastructure in on-premise environments. Traditional on-premise infrastructure support is a slow process of reactively diagnosing issues, working with a vendor support team, involving lots of painful back and forth, and often protracted downtime while diagnosing issues. In order to operate the thousands of clusters in Confluent Cloud, however, Confluent has developed advanced capabilities for continuously monitoring thousands of Kafka clusters and using algorithms to make these operations reliable, efficient, and proactive. With Health Plus, we are now beginning to extend these cloud-based capabilities to our on-premise customers, allowing them to send a continuous stream of monitoring data from their on-premise environments into Confluent Cloud and plugging into the same data in motion platform that powers our cloud operations to help them optimize, monitor, and ensure the availability of Confluent in their on-premise environments. The importance of Confluent to hybrid and multi-cloud architectures was further highlighted by the growing relationships that we have with the major cloud providers. Just last month, we were named a Google Cloud Partner of the Year for for the third year in a row. Google Cloud has recognized our leadership as a technology partner for smart analytics, highlighting our commitment to customer success and delivery of innovative, impactful solutions on Google Cloud. These three pillars, being cloud native, being complete, and being everywhere, are what we've built around for many years now and are what have led us to have the leading product in this emerging space. We think we're in the very early innings of a large opportunity ahead of us, and we're really excited to continue executing on this strategy to become the industry standard for setting data in motion. With that, I'll turn the call over to Stefan to walk through our financials. Thanks, Jay. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm pleased to be here with such a great team. In Q2, we successfully completed our IPO and delivered strong operating results. Since this is our first earnings call, I'll provide an overview of our differentiated business model. We designed our business model to empower customers to harness data in motion everywhere their data and applications reside. We sell our software platform as two subscription offerings, Confluent Cloud and Confluent Platform. Confluent Cloud is a fully managed cloud-native SaaS offering available on AWS, Azure, and GCP. Customers can either purchase credits 
as part of a committed contract or sign up with a credit card under a pay-as-you-go model. Revenue is recognized based on consumption. Confluent Platform is an enterprise-ready, self-managed software offering that can be deployed in our customers' on-prem, private cloud, and public cloud environments. A portion of revenue is recognized up front as license, and a substantial majority is recognized ratably over the contract term. Confluent Cloud and Confluent Platform together make up our subscription revenue, which typically accounts for 85 to 90% of total revenue. The remaining 10 to 15% comes from our services offering, which is attached to our subscriptions. Services revenue is recognized as delivered. Given the various revenue components and billing terms in our model, remaining performance obligations or RPO and current RPO rather than billings are important metrics to measure the health of the business. RPO provides insight into the organic momentum of our business as it represents contractually committed revenue to be recognized in the future, regardless of billing terms and variability in cloud consumption patterns. Now let's turn to the results. Q2 was a robust quarter with strong customer momentum and accelerated top-line growth and net retention rate, demonstrating the power of our platform and our land and expand strategy. I'll start with the customer momentum we saw in the quarter. Leveraging the self-service motion and pay-as-you-go arrangements in our Confluent Cloud offering, we've been able to significantly broaden our number and reach of customers in both the enterprise and commercial segments. In Q2, we added approximately 290 net new customers, bringing our total customer count to 2,830, up 104% year-over-year. As customers see the value of our offering for their initial use cases, they often expand into more use cases and other lines of business across their organization. This expansion effect is reflected in the strong growth of our large customer base. We ended the second quarter with 617 customers with at least 100K in ARR, up 51% year-over-year, and 70 customers with at least 1 million in ARR, up 112% year-over-year. Another key metric of customer success is dollar-based net retention rate, or NRR. In Q2, NRR was above 130% compared to 117% in the prior quarter. The robust improvement was driven by strong renewals and expansions across both our subscription offerings. We've seen quarterly fluctuations in NRR in the past, and we expect the fluctuation to continue, due in part to the timing of large initial deal sizes expanding in the first year, the transition of our cloud business to usage-based billing, and churn. We're operationally focused on driving NRR consistently above 120% in the near in the near term, and our goal longer term is to drive it consistently above 130%. Going forward on a quarterly basis, we plan to report NRR relative to our near-term target threshold of 120%. Turning to revenue, we saw growth acceleration across all of our revenue components. Total revenue was 88.3 million, growing 64% year over year, a significant acceleration from Q1. Subscription revenue was $78.5 million, up 67% year-over-year, and accounted for 89% of total revenue. The two components of our subscription revenue continue to exhibit strong growth. Confluent platform revenue was $58.8 million, accelerating to 46% growth year-over-year, and accounted for 67% of total revenue. Confluent cloud revenue was $19.7 million, accelerating to 200% growth year-over-year and accounted for 22% of total revenue, up 4 percentage points sequentially and up 10 percentage points from a year ago. As more organizations extend their data in motion platform to the cloud, we believe we're positioned to capitalize on the secular trend of cloud migration. From a geographic mix standpoint, we continue to see strong demand for our offerings around the world. Revenue from the U.S. grew 58% year-over-year to $56.8 million, representing 64% of total revenue. Revenue from outside the U.S. grew 77% year-over-year to $31.5 million, representing 36% of total revenue, up three percentage points from a year ago. We're still in the early innings of our international expansion, and we see a significant opportunity in front of us. 
will continue to invest in local operations in the highest propensity countries, where we see increasing Kafka adoption. We expect these targeted investments to drive our international revenue mix higher over time. Turning to remaining performance obligations, we ended the second quarter with $327.2 million in RPO, up 72% year-over-year. Current RPO, which we estimate to be 69% of RPO, was approximately $224.6 million, up 63% year-over-year. As a reminder, our current RPO is an estimate and could fluctuate due to the variability of consumption patterns of our cloud customers. Our growth acceleration in RPO was driven by the broad-based momentum across our product offerings, with Confluent Cloud's triple-digit growth being the largest driver. RPO also benefited from a large multi-year expansion deal. While the deal had a modest impact on Q2 revenue, it increased the growth rate differential between RPO and current RPO. Before turning to gross margins and profitability, I'd like to note that I'll be discussing non-GAAP results unless otherwise noted. Q2 total gross margin was 70.1%, up from 68.7% a year ago. Subscription gross margins, which include Confluent Cloud and Confluent Platform, were 77%, up from 76.1% a year ago. The majority of the increase is attributed to realizing efficiencies in infrastructure costs, the increasing mix of multi-tenant hosting, and product optimizations for Confluent Cloud. Confluent Cloud has lower gross margins than Confluent Platform, as we're in the early stages of achieving leverage and scale for the infrastructure that supports our cloud offering. And as Confluent Cloud continues to scale and account for a larger share of total revenue, we anticipate gross margins fluctuate in the future. Turning to profitability, operating loss was negative 36.8 million, representing operating margin of negative 41.7% compared to negative 37.9% a year ago. Free cash flow margin was negative 51.4% compared to negative 42.2% a year ago. And net loss per share was negative 31 cents using 118.6 million basic and diluted weighted average shares outstanding. The year-over-year decline in profitability was primarily driven by our plan to catch up with hiring in FY21, as well as continuing to invest for growth. As a reminder, we hit the pause button on hiring at the front end of the pandemic in FY20, and we didn't resume hiring in earnest until late Q3. Given the size of our addressable market and the strong unit economics inherent in our model, we believe it's critical to invest and scale across all organizational functions to capture our market opportunity. Moving on to the balance sheet, we ended the second quarter with $1.04 billion in cash, cash equivalents, and marketable securities, which includes the $786.6 million in net proceeds from our IPO. Turning now to guidance, starting this quarter, we're providing quarterly and annual guidance on total revenue, non-GAAP operating loss or income, and non-GAAP net loss or earnings per share. For the third quarter of 2021, we expect revenue to be in the range of 89 to 91 million, representing growth of 45 to 48% year over year. Non-GAAP operating loss in the range of negative 62 to negative 60 million. And non-GAAP net loss per share in the range of negative 24 to negative 23 cents, using approximately 259 million weighted average shares outstanding which includes the full quarter-weighted impact of shares post-IPO. For fiscal year 2021, we expect revenue to be in the range of 347 to 351 million, representing growth of 47 to 48% year-over-year. Non-GAAP operating loss in the range of negative 199 to negative 195 million, and non-GAAP net loss per share in the range of a dollar, negative $1.07 to negative $1.05, using approximately 188 million weighted average shares outstanding. I'd also like to provide some modeling points. We expect FY21 non-GAAP taxes to be in the range of 2 to 3 million, and FY21 capital expenditures and amounts capitalized for internal use software costs to be approximately 2 to 3% of total revenue. In closing, 
Our strong second quarter results underscore our ability to execute against a large market opportunity. As a category creating company, we're just getting started and we're well positioned to drive durable growth and profitability over the long term. With that, Jay and I will take your questions. Thank you, Stefan. To ask questions, please use the raise hand feature on your Zoom screen. We ask that you limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. And with that, we'll take our first question from Sanjay Sin of Morgan Stanley, and you'll be followed by Mark Murphy. Sanjay? Sanjay, I think you're still on mute. Okay, sorry about that, Shane. Um, I congrats to the team on a really um, strong debut as a public company. The, the results were were, were really um, impressive, um, particularly on both the Confluent platform and the Confluent cloud side. I want to talk a little bit about Confluent cloud and why we sort of see the escape velocity in that part of the business today. If I look at your cloud mix last year, it was only up three points year on year. The last two quarters, the cloud mix is about – uh, up 600 basis points and up 10 points this most recent quarter. So, Jay, I was wondering if you could just sort of expand on, like, why why now on Confluent Cloud? Is it sort of feature parity? Um, is it just the the strong customer ads? Why, why are we seeing that that business really start to take off? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and it's really a couple different things that contribute to that. Um, you know, the, the first is the product differentiation. I, I talked about that, like really getting each of those pillars to, you know, be meaningful to customers, the, you know, being cloud native, being complete, being everywhere. I think that matters a lot. Uh, I think secondly, you know, really getting the foundations of a cloud product to be incredibly solid, the security story, how you work with us, et cetera. I, I think that unlocks a lot of customers that uh, may have been skeptical of, you know, managed cloud infrastructure especially with a smaller company. Um, and then finally, I, I think, is the maturing of our go-to-market and really learning how to take advantage of uh, the capabilities of a cloud product. We, we've gone through a transition to a usage-oriented model that really helps. I think we're still in the early days of taking advantage of that, so, so I think we're just getting started. But that's that's been a big adjustment, uh, you know, for us over the last year plus um, to, to really sell like a SaaS company. And so I, I think all of those things contribute significantly. That's super helpful. And then sort of the, my, my next question was sort of around um, the velocity in terms of adoption. I, I think on the roadshow, you guys were talking about, Confluence really about reimagining how applications and the data infrastructure interact with each other. And the that's exciting on one hand, but the other part is new. And, that, and sometimes new means means friction. And, and maybe it's sort of related to Confluent Cloud, but in terms of um, – you know, greasing the wheel, so to speak, to drive that adoption. Is Confluent Cloud kind of the the, the, the key lever to pull here, or are there other things um, that you guys can do to to get customers to buy into the, the architectural yeah, yeah. approach? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So there's really two dimensions, right? One, you know, if we started the company with something that was an idea that was very powerful, and companies want it, but as you said, it was hard. Uh, at that point to do it. And, you know, that, that is absolutely friction. And so the, the project for Confluent is make it easy, make it easy to get the value. And there's, I, I do think there's two dimensions to that. One is operations. Is it easy to just run a net new massive distributed platform at scale with production quality? And the, the cloud is really the solution there. Um, that really just takes that problem away. We, we obviously have a set of product features that help on premise. But the cloud, we can just do it for you. So, you know, 30 seconds later, you're world class at this new capability. But the other side is is the development side. How, you know, how how easy or hard is it to build applications against this? Kind of the, the core of Kafka is this almost low-level primitive for reimagining these kind of applications. But what we've really focused on is making it easier and easier. So, you know, having over 100 different connectors that allow you to just capture streams with no code that you have to write. You just plug in and the data flows. Um, and then uh, KSQL is a huge part of this, making it really easy to take the, the very um, high efficiency language of traditional databases, the thing that software engineers all kind of know and understand and apply it to data in motion. You know, that makes it much easier for people to just get going. 
I think there's a lot more we can do in this direction. I don't think we're done in making it easy to, you know, be able to get the value out for different use cases, making it more and more uh, efficient to develop in this new way. Um, but but we're, I think we're seeing that acceleration, you know, in the open source option and, and in the underlying business and in the results that we're showing. Well, great. Well, great to see the first quarter results and uh, congrats on uh, on a great start. Thanks so much. Thanks, Sanjit. We'll take our second question from Mark Murphy of J.P. Morgan. And Mark will be followed by Cash Ringan. Mark? Okay, yes. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Shane. I want to add my hearty congratulations on just a stellar um, uh, operating performance in the quarter. Um, Stefan, I, I wanted to ask you, it's a little rare to see net retention uh, move in such a large increment that way in a single quarter. Could you just describe the uh, whether it's the math underlying it, is it, is it not a uh, last 12 months average in your definition, or is it? And then uh, maybe what's what's the customer behavior that, that just changed so materially there in a single quarter? Well, for starters, it's a trailing 12-month metric for ARR. Uh, and the underlying drivers of the strength uh, were really we saw great uh, improvement in gross retention for both Confluent Cloud and Confluent Platform. We saw really healthy expansion, um, but one of the things that was uh, a real bright spot in the quarter was for customers who are running both Confluent Cloud and Confluent Platform in the same environment, the net the net retention rate is meaningful meaningfully higher than the average net retention rate for for the company, and so we're starting to see the network effect really take hold. Um, and and I get that dynamic because it's important to understand some some of the underlying drivers. As you remember, on our IPO, we talked about we are operationally focused on driving NRR to be consistently above 120% in, in the near term and in the long term above 130%. So this quarter was a great proof point that we that you know that we've got above 130%. We're going to see fluctuations along the way, um, but we're we put in the operational rigor and focus you know through the sales and go-to-market organization, through the product organization, and we're really seeing we're really seeing that payoff. So we're very pleased with that. Okay, thank you. And um, Jay, as a follow-up for you, I'm interested in what you think are the most important steps that that you that you can take, uh, just in order to be highlighting the all the differentiated features in the a Confluent offering, versus when people look at the plain vanilla version of, of Apache Kafka, uh, so that you can be maximizing the value of the subscription relationship. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, that, that those kind of three pillars of differentiation, really making sure that that's clear and that customers are experiencing that as a critical project for us. So, you know, the, the underlying foundation of that is making sure each of those pillars is really strong, which I think we've done a great job of. You know, the next is really making that broadly known. And I think making sure that people are signing up and trying the cloud product, making that easy is critical. We've, we've made uh, really significant hires. Uh, in the marketing organization, um, you know, over the last six months or so, uh, which I think is a big part of that as well. And so, you know, all of that, I think, is going to help us kind of take that story out more broadly and have it precede, you know, any discussion we have with potential customers. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks, Mark. Our next question comes from Cash Rankin of Goldman Sachs. And Cash, we're followed by Brett Seals. Thank you so much. Congratulations again on your first quarter as a public company. Uh, first one for Jay. So Jay, really impressive cloud numbers here. I, I wonder if you could dissect the strength of the cloud business uh, into how much of that was uh, incentivization on the go-to-market front versus maybe landing points uh, for cloud customers are uh, higher than where they were a couple of years back, meaning that the first decision to go with Confluent starts with the Confluent cloud product itself. Maybe there's a bit, bit of consideration, or maybe there is another factor, maybe existing Confluent platform customers decided to do more in the cloud. We could just dissect what is driving the strength of the, the cloud business from a product mix and go-to-market perspective. That'll be great. And uh, Stefan, I do have one for you. To the extent that the cloud accelerates uh, on a sustainable basis, what do the economics of the business look like? Is the, the LTV to CAC of the cloud business uh, materially different or about the same as the core business? And to the extent you have accelerated uh, transition to the cloud, uh, what what should we be thinking about as far as the implications of the Confluent business model longer term? Thank you very much again. Congratulations. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So this is one of these multi-factor things where you can't boil it down to just one thing that changed. So what got better? Yeah, the, the product got significantly better. I, I think people underestimate how, you know, large a lift it is to build a really world-class cloud infrastructure product. Just doing that at scale across every cloud, across every region, having the full suite of networking technologies, the underlying security cable, it's a lot. And until you kind of have that, you're really not ready to work with the best customers. And I do think we've kind of crossed that threshold there that starts to have us really see that unlock. And, um, you know, that may be surprising given the amount of time we've invested in our cloud offering. This is something we've worked on for years, but it is actually a big deal to do something that's properly cloud native and do that right. And I think that's starting to pay off. You know, I, I talked a little bit about just the evolution and sophistication of, um, the go-to-market organizations really adapting to this usage model and starting to take advantage of that. I, I think that's paying off as well. I, I think part of it is also a, a larger shift in the world around us. You know, there are the, the movement to cloud is much more broad-based and people are much more open to, to the realization that there's going to be a set of independent cloud data systems beyond just the cloud provider. They're going to be absolutely critical to their architecture, and they're starting to place bets against that. And I, I think that that kind of growing awareness helps us uh, as well. And so for a lot of these customers, they want to get out of running open source things themselves. They want to put their best engineers in the blessed place, and they're looking for, you know, companies that can help them do that and can actually give them the kind of world-class product that they need to be great in these areas. So I, it's all of those things. I wish it was just one simple thing, but, you know, it all ends up adding up to, to be that. And on the second question, Cash, uh, this is a multiple-year kind of point of view, so don't read it for like quarter by quarter, but just thematically with – Cloud being a bigger component of our business, um, and we, we see it trending higher over time for sure, uh, it has lots of positive impacts on a longer-term basis. So we believe that the NRR profile of our cloud customers um, should be a lot higher um, than just you know, called call the traditional set of customers who are running CP. Uh, from a revenue visibility standpoint and a consumption-based standpoint, we, we see that as having positive, um, you know, positive read through the business longer term. Our gross margins um, will definitely fluctuate given the gross margin profile of cloud is, is in the more nascent stage than Confluent Platform. We're on a you know, multi-year journey, um, and we've seen great improvements so far, but that, that will provide a little bit of fluctuation. And then when it goes to unit economics, we think the LTV to CAC profile of our of our Confluent Cloud business, um, you know, should should be growing over time, and so that that will be a positive tailwind for the business. Uh, and then lastly, I'll say on the R and D side of the house, um, I, and I can't underscore this uh, anymore, but the complexity of 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 the engineering organization in terms of being able to service. Um, on all three major cloud providers, plus doing, you know, you know, more integrations, et cetera, the, you know, the investments we're making in the product organization are very much tailored to becoming a cloud-first company, um, but really plugging into the whole central nervous system aspect of the dynamic. Because in order to serve our customers, we have to be on-prem and in cloud. Um, and so there's, there's just more engineering investment related to being the central nervous system, the cloud is is definitely like our, our, our first priority. Wonderful. Good to hear that. Thanks for the very detailed answers and the congratulations again. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, thanks, Jeff. We'll take our next question from Brett Seals with Bank of America and Brad will be followed by Michael Torn. Oh, great. Thanks, guys, so much. And congratulations on a nice quarter uh, as, as a first quarter as a public company. Uh, great to hear from you, you guys. Um, my question, you know, is, is really on one of the metrics that st stands out to me, which is that customer count greater than a million, uh, you know, in ARR, you know, real, real strong result this quarter, more than doubling year over year. My question is, what is the point in which a customer, uh, you know, crosses a certain uh, threshold be when they become more uh, they, they look at Confluent as more of a strategic partner and really start to accelerate that expansion across the organization, start to use Confluent in a more meaningful way such that they, they get to that size of a customer. Is there a certain catalyst that you see or common uh, theme when, when a customer hits that point? And, and what is that? And, 
and and you know how are you driving that? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. So so yeah, we look at the adoption as kind of having three phases. There's kind of early developer interest. People are getting in. It's more experimental. It's maybe attaching to early development. There's a phase where there's kind of disparate production application. So it's used in this part of the company for something. It's used in that part of the company for something. And then really this third phase is really important. This is the beginning of that central nervous system where it starts to connect across and it starts to be thought as a kind of default way that data is exchanged between applications, a default way that, that data flows. Um, I, I wouldn't use that million dollar plus customer as kind of a proxy for later stage customers. Now, obviously, if you have one really big use case, you could you could pay more early on. But typically at that point, you have very significant usage. And it is our goal to be, you know, the best in the world at taking customers down that journey. You know, we want the most people possible to start and experiment in as low friction way with our cloud product as possible. We want as many of them to get into production successfully with applications. We want that to grow and really become a foundational part of their data architecture over time. And so there's there's a million and one things we do to try and accelerate that. You know, at scale, that's about having the right relationship uh, in, you know, across the different uh, parts of the organization, making sure they kind of see the value of the direction that they're in any way heading as this technology takes off and, and really kind of take the relationship to the next level. And I, I think it's a very healthy development to see that that's you know, our goal for all of our accounts. That's great to hear. Thanks so much, Jay. And one more follow-up, if I may. Uh, you know, when, when you think of Confluent, we think of the company as really riding that adoption of next generation applications, really the infrastructure for applications that require that real-time capability at, at scale and integration of the data. Uh, but when we talk to customers, we also hear that they're looking to Confluent, uh, you know, to help modernize legacy applications, that, that even those need some of this real-time capability. So I guess my question is, you know, how much of that replacement cycle uh, do you see, you know, has driven the results to so far? Do you see that coming in increasingly? Obviously, you're very well positioned for modern next-gen applications. But what about the legacy? There's a lot of that, that that could move to Confluent, I would imagine. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's it's subtle, but I think it's one of the really powerful things about how this product works. You know, there's there's many technology products which kind of come in and say, hey, rebuild everything on us, and it'll be great. And the problem is that there often isn't really the ROI to rebuild major systems running part of a business. And yet there is pressure and, there, you know, the business has to adapt and do new things and work in new ways. And so the challenge is how can you do that? You know, new applications, they're not islands. They don't stand alone. They plug into a larger business and system that they have to be a part of. And that's really the power of what we're doing when we talk about the central nervous system. It's it's both connecting up to the old systems, the relational databases and mainframes and, you know, old ERP systems that have core parts of the business in them and allowing that data to flow out continuously in real time, trigger action and activity in the new stuff the, that may be out in the cloud that's built on new platforms and vice versa, right? And th- this is actually um, really a core requirement to be able to enable these kind of new applications. Typically, the, the challenge isn't, you know, do you want to be on a mainframe? It's how can you pull apart the new things and allow them to be built uh, if they have to integrate back into the old stuff? And, and that's the challenge for a lot of enterprise customers. That's why you see this so commonly bridging. And so it isn't really, you know, uh, greenfield versus brownfield is actually kind of both, and often both even at the same time for the same application. You know, the next generation customer experience uh, front end has to bridge back and, and be fed by data in some of the older operational systems. These things need to change a bit at a time. Um, this is a key part of what makes that possible. And, and I think it is key that it is ultimately the architecture companies want to get to, right? It, it is, you know, the, the new Silicon Valley tech companies are starting this way as well. So it's not just a transitionary thing. It really is how they want to get there, but works with both. That's great. Thank you so much, Shane. Thanks, Stefan. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, Brett. Our next question comes from Michael Turn with Wells Fargo, and Carl Kierstedt is on deck. Hey, great. Thanks. Thanks. Good afternoon. Congrats on another milestone here with the first earnings report. Jay Consulent was named GCP Tech Partner of the Year for a third year in a row. Um, can you maybe expand on, on positioning with the major cloud providers? How important is agnostic positioning for Confluent customers? And is there a competitive or cooperative dynamic you can shed light on there for investors? 
Yeah, the, the cooperation is actually really strong. And, it, you know, it's not just with Google. It really is with all three of the cloud providers. And, uh, you know, part of it is what I just said in the previous question, that that bridging, you know, to enable the new applications is really, really critical for them to get that next new workload up and operational in the cloud in many cases. And that's why they're excited about this. This is why, you know, you would see reference architectures that have Confluent feeding BigQuery and feeding these other cloud systems. That's what makes the cloud providers excited about what we're doing. Um, you know, that said, they, they have, uh, each cloud provider has a handful of different products in their environment that we would compete with. And, um, you know, that's, that's, it's certainly a complicated dynamic. I think it's well handled now in all three of the major clouds. You know, the limitations of a lot of these offerings is, you know, kind of in that cloud native complete everywhere uh, basket, you know, a lot of them don't really have the complete story. And most of these are just in that one cloud provider. It doesn't bridge uh, into the other clouds. It doesn't bridge into on-premises. So that, that larger story isn't necessarily po- you know possible with what they're doing. And that's, that's why I think they want to work with us. Yeah, great. And Stefan, you're, you're providing an outlook for both Q3 and, and the full year, can you comment on the degree of visibility you have in the model, whether the mix of cloud affects that at all, or maybe just comment on the overall approach to guidance here as well? We take several uh, items into consideration when constructing guidance. Uh, we look at our, uh, our our pipeline. We look at our sales forecast. Uh, we also look at the visibility we have for, for revenue coming off of the balance sheet. Um, and, and so from a, a revenue standpoint, because the revenue model is a mix of ratable upfront and consumption, um, the ratable piece gives us really good, really good visibility. And we're, we continue to fine tune our consumption forecasting and modeling. Um, but we feel very good about, um, you know, just a high confidence level, I should say. Um, in, in, in our guidance, um, and, and, and that's based off of the attributes I just walked you through. It's a great start here. Nice job to the team. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. We'll take our next question from Carl Kiestet with UBS, and Carl will be followed by Derek Wood. Uh, thank you, uh, Jay and Stefan and Shane. Congrats on this first quarter. Good way to start. So maybe I'll, I'll start with Stefan. Um, Stefan, was there anything unusual about the results in the quarter to call out? You you had mentioned in a, a quick comment that maybe that large multi-year extension provided at least a modest boost to revenues. Maybe you could characterize that. And then also, was there anything funky in terms of deals slipping? I remember during the IPO process that you had uh, an occasion where some 4Q deals slipped into 1Q. Anything like that occur in the second quarter that's worth calling out? Yeah, good good question. So on the the large deal that we called out in the, in the script, um, it didn't really have a material impact on on revenue, um, but it did impact RPO um, because it was a multi year deal. And if you look at the growth rate between um, RPO and current RPO, uh, that it did have an impact there. Uh, I can tell you that you know it was you know a, a great expansion opportunity for us. Um, we, we viewed it as a very big vote of confidence. Um, and, and we also had other large deals in, in, in the quarter too, but we, we wanted to call that one out in particular. Uh, and then as far as anything else going on in the quarter, um, that was, you know, unique. It was just a very solid quarter kind of across, uh, across the base. You look at the metrics around 100K ARR customers, million dollar plus ARR customers. Net retention was clearly a bright spot for us. Um, and that, that, that's been a point of focus for us. Um, you know, over the last year, just, you know, continuing to drive NRR performance. And uh, you think about things that, like, Erica Schultz has done in terms of operationalizing NRR, you know, throughout the field sales organization. And we think about what Ganesh has done from an engineering standpoint around product feature functionality, velocity, to in- improve the stickiness. I can tell you the gross retention in the quarter was was very healthy, um, and that's that's a great indicator for us as well. Okay, great. And then maybe a follow-up. One of the metrics we haven't spoken about yet, which I tend not to focus on too much, is overall customer count, because that can sometimes get skewed by the long tail of SMBs. But doubling your customer count in the quarter is impressive. And so I wanted to ask, to what extent, uh, Jay and Stefan, you, you look at that as a good leading indicator? 
And then secondly, was the cloud version of the product sort of a disproportionate catalyst for new customer growth? In other words, if cloud was 22% of revenues, did it have a much larger effect on bringing in new customers? Thank you. Yeah, it's a great question. So, yeah, the cloud offering is definitely the foundation of how we're getting out to customers that scale. And so, you know, the the vast majority of customers are on uh, Confluent Cloud uh, numerically, right? So, um, yeah, when we're looking at growth in total customers, that is what's going to predominate. And it is very much that kind of self-service, low friction. Now, as you said, um, you can come in and buy a dollar fifty worth of Confluent, uh, and that may not be uh, an indication of a long-term journey with us, or it may be the beginning of something great. Right. And so, yeah, it is a, a stat that's going to fluctuate uh, quarter to quarter as we change some of our, um, you know, marketing techniques where we're putting spend, uh, remove friction from the onboarding process. You're going to see changes uh, as we do that. We obviously look at that full journey. What are customers doing? Are they becoming active? Do we have continual usage of the product, uh, et cetera? So to answer your question, strategically, I think it's very important, you know, quarter to quarter, there will be fluctuations in that as as we change our, our techniques and approach and system for offering credits and incentives and so on. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Carl. Our next question comes from Derek Wood with Colin, and Derek will be followed by Rob Owens. Great. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Really, really great job out of the gate. Um, I wanted to ask on the uh, the go-to-market. You know, you guys have been building out new go-to-market uh, teams over the last year. Just wanted to get a sense to, you know, what the maturity of those efforts look uh, by region, U.S., EMEA, APAC. How, where do we stand with, you know, standardizing sales playbooks, driving up sales capacity, and how do you see that progressing through the year? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um you know, I, I would say, first of all, we're, we remain a young company, right? So in that overall arc, I still think there's a ton that's happening in there. Um, you know, as, as Stefan alluded, I, I think Erica and the rest of the team has done an amazing job, and they brought in good talent in every region. You know, we've seen great performance across the board from the team. So I think we've made huge steps. I, I think there's still a lot that we're doing that will make it even better. I don't know if there's anything you would add to that, Stefan. I have a, yeah, a couple of things. One is, uh, you know, we, we started in the U.S. Uh, and we've expanded in, in EMEA and most recently in APAC. Uh, and so to answer your question, Derek, uh, we're still in the early stages of, of growth in all three major theaters. Um, I can tell you that we had, you know, paused hiring last year prudently in, because, because of COVID. And, you know, we've, we've caught up on hiring and we're catching up on hiring and, from a just a headcount standpoint, we're on track relative to hiring the the sales talent that we need. Uh, in in 2021, um, you know we have more ramping reps than ramped reps. And in 22, given the fact that we have a 12 month um, you know onboarding process uh, and ramp process, we're going to have proportionally more ramped people in 22 than in 21. So that, that gives you a little bit of, uh, of color commentary on the geography and then also just hiring progress. Perfect. Thanks. Um, and then, Stefan, a couple of quick uh, tactical questions, really. From an internal comp perspective, have you made any changes to incentives to sell cloud versus platform? And, you know, are there two different incentives? And then, when it, when it comes to the cloud engagements, how much is pay-as-you-go versus committed contracts, and, and is, that, is that shifting at all as we progress through the year? Yeah. On, the, on the compensation side of the house, at the start of this year, uh, you know, we, we did put in, um, call it slightly more incentives for folks to sell Confluent Cloud. Um, and, and so that, that's in place, and that's, you know, that's paying off which is good. And as far as uh, the mix between you know, pay-as-you-go and committed contracts, the, the vast majority of, of the revenue is, is committed contracts. Um, pay-as-you-go um, is growing off of a small base, so like the, the, the percentage growth rates are very high. Uh, but it, if you look at just the proportions, um, committed contracts are vast majority of revenue at this point. Got it. Thanks, and, and congrats again. Thank you.
Thank you. We'll take our next question from Rob Owens with Piper Sandler, and Rob will be followed by Raymond Lenshaw. Great. Thank you for taking my question. I guess for starters, Stefan, as we contemplated Q2, there was the thought that the code cup breach could potentially impact that top line. And did that play out whatsoever in terms of, of customers or any pushouts? The way that the company handled the code cut breach, uh, I thought was um, very well received by the customer base. We were out in front of it. We were, you know, very clear with what we we're doing, how we we're responding, and so it it literally had very, you know, little to no impact um, as far as the results, uh, you know, came through. And if you look at just the, the cloud revenue growth, the 200 percent, the overall revenue growth, um, and also the growth in RPO. Um, all of those played out, I think, better than we had expected. Um, and, and, and so hopefully that gives you some color commentary. Sure. And I guess to that end, then, as you contemplated guidance, you gave some, some commentary earlier, but you have a history of being conservative, and I have a history of pushing you on that. How are you thinking about this third quarter, then, relative to some of those different puts and takes, and, and what could actually happen to influence a flattish type of uh, a sequential number. I know it's up a, a couple million, but uh, given the strength you've seen in all the leading indicators, you know, we would think that might be even stronger this quarter. Thanks. Well, we're very pleased with the fact that we can, um, you, know, in, you know, basically, you know, raise guidance um, relative to consensus. We're looking at 45 to 48% year-over-year growth in total revenue. Um, and there is, a, there is a seasonality component a little bit to our business. Uh our salespeople have semi-annual comp plans for this year, um, and so Q2 and Q4 tend to be seasonally stronger uh, than Q1 and Q3 just by the nature of how the comp plans work. Uh, and so we, we also took that into consideration while, while constructing guidance, uh, but felt very good about not only the guide for the quarter, um, but the guide for the year being, you know, 47 to 48%. Um, and so, you know, Hopefully, again, that gives you some confidence and some clarity. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. We'll take our next question from Raymond Lanschild with Barclays. Hey, um, thanks for squeezing me in on congrats from me as well. Um, uh, Jay, I, I know the question is going to look out a little bit more into the future, but um, if you look at other vendors like Mongo that kind of went towards the cloud, um, they, they started out with the free kind of clouds that you're kind of working on, with, uh, but then they started thinking more east towards Asia and, and then, you know, the, the big Chinese clouds came up. What's your thinking there around that, uh, going forward in terms of that and in terms of a white label? What's the market opportunity there? And then I had one follow up for Stefan. Yeah, I think we're early in that process. Um, you know, I, I, we have watched what some of the, the other companies have done. I, I think those are great options. Um, obviously, our first priority is is building just a world class product in in these uh, first three major clouds. Was there was there a follow up? Do we lose you there, Rima? Hey, Rima, we can't hear you. Okay, um, sorry, is um, my internet connection is unstable. <laughs> the, yeah. uh, uh, hey, Stefan. The, uh, and the question for me is like going back to uh, Murphy's question from earlier. Those changes in NRR in in uh, in one quarter is is pretty uh, remarkable. I've, I've actually never seen something like that before. It, it, it could that like how do you think about that going forward? Do you think it's going to be more stable going forward? Uh, and you know, like what well, could be factors here? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so one additional point I'll make on uh, on NRR is because it's a trailing 12 month metric. If you look at the historical patterns for NRR, you know we called out that you know Q2 of last year um, we actually had some churn based off of um, you know Q2 and Q3 candidly we had some churn because of, of COVID etc. Um, the Q2 churn is now out of the equation. Um, so that, that's also a tailwind to NRR, but the, 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 the bigger components were definitely just the, the better gross retention and the expansion opportunities that, that we saw play out. Um, we do think that there's going to be fluctuation. We've, we've been very consistent on that point. Um, and, you know, we're, 
where NRR lands in a particular quarter, it's always hard to forecast, which is why we're not guiding on it. But what we are saying is we are we are committed to driving NRR consistently above 120 percent. And we were very pleased that it, you know, in in this quarter, we were actually above 130 percent. Uh, so th- those are those are th- that's an additional comment that I wanted to make on how NRR there was a slight benefit because some of the the churn that happened a year ago is now out of out of the base. Uh, so hopefully that gives you a little bit of extra color commentary. Perfect. Yeah. Very strong quarter though. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Remo. This concludes our Q&A section. Thank you very much for your questions and participation. I will now turn it back to Jay for closing remarks. Well, thanks, everyone, for your time today. Uh, we feel the quarter represents one more step forward on our larger journey. And so a huge thanks to our team, our customers, and our investors for making this possible. Take care.